Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, and welcome to episode 246, y'all. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And one thing we here at Bossed Up have been wanting to focus more on this year is speaking up, making your voice heard, turning up the volume on women worldwide. And if you are someone who struggles with speaking up or who doesn't always find the right words until like, I don't know, three days after you need them or just gets totally freaked out at the concept of presenting in front of a crowd, speaking publicly, um, or even dissenting, right? Making your voice heard in everyday conversation at work. Uh, We've got some really great episodes coming your way and a brand new program that I'm so excited to launch This week called Speak Up. It's all about how to own your voice. It's an eight-week program that features interactive group coaching calls with myself, as well as online curriculum in the form of video lessons every week, homework assignments every week. And over the course of eight weeks together, we will have you feeling more confident in your communication than ever before. Check it out at bossedup.org slash speakup. We just opened enrollment today, and it is our first time running this exact program, but these are topics that I've been speaking about uh, for many years now. Regardless of whether or not you join us for Speak Up, you're definitely going to want to buckle up and stay tuned for this excellent conversation with Stephanie Schreiber. Stephanie is a communications consultant herself and a TEDx speaker coach with extensive acting, public speaking, and teaching experience. She studied musical theater performance at the renowned Randolph Academy for the Performing Arts and studied improv at Second City and acted in New York City alongside Broadway professionals. She's been leading workshops on using acting techniques to improve presentation and communication skills since 2011, and she has some fantastic tips for y'all today. Stephanie, thanks so much for joining me on the Bossed Up Podcast. Thank you for having me. So, Stephanie, you do some incredible work coaching everyone from TEDx speakers and how to prepare for the stage to working professionals on how to quell anxiety and speak up in presentations and in the workplace. How did you find yourself crafting this kind of a kick-ass career? (laughs) I was living in New York City for a while trying to make it as a performer on Broadway. So I have a background in dance, improv. And when I moved back to Toronto, I was teaching Pilates. And I was working with a client who was a partner in a law firm. And he asked if I'd ever taught acting, which I had done in New York. So he asked if I would come to his law firm and teach three trial classes to the new associates at the firm. That was something that he did when he was a young associate, and he found it very beneficial. 
That was in 2011. And I am still at that law firm. I go in every month and teach a workshop to the associates and the partners on presentation skills. Wow. That's amazing. So, and so go ahead. So from that, it's just slowly, slowly snowballed. It was something that happened pretty organically. And teaching lawyers and teaching professionals is really no different than teaching improv and acting to young students Mm. or kids. It's just you change everything to suit what happens in the boardroom rather than the playground. Totally. That's so interesting. You know, I don't think I ever thought of the parallels between improv and speaking up at work, (laughs) but there are so many, right? So many. Absolutely. That's so interesting. So you are actually not the first um, very like skilled and talented artist who uh, I've talked to about transitioning into more of a business setting. What was it like kind of walking away from the Broadway pursuit to pivot your career in this way? Because a lot of my listeners are here in the Boston community because they're navigating a big career pivot as well. Right. Well, honestly, it was it was quite heartbreaking. That was mm. a goal that I wasn't able to achieve. Mm. And I came back home um, and had to find a way to reinvent myself and figure out what it is I loved and how I could take all of those skills and adapt them. And so yeah. it's so satisfying to take all your creativity and help people whose soft skills aren't as refined yeah, and, and help them and be the bright light in people's days. Yeah, that's so real. I think so many job seekers right now can relate to that. My little sister just graduated from college in May from Smith College. And I mean, it is just such a hard time to find your footing professionally right now because of this global pandemic we're all living through that a lot of what I'm doing with the job seeker clients I have has to do with, like you said, adapting your skill set to find a new market use for them. Um, So I commend you on the career you have built for yourself because navigating a pivot is psychologically taxing and can be financially taxing, of course, as well. And I just commend you for the career you've built for yourself because that is an incredible feat. Well, thank you. So how do you approach an environment where people have a lot of hard skills, a lot of core competencies, proficiencies when it comes to being a good attorney or being a good, I don't know, just hypothetically here, engineer, and the soft skills are lacking. Can you tell me about how you navigate that process with people who are so smart, but aren't always heard or seen as the smart people that they are? I have to tell you how much I love going into a boardroom full of suits and watching the arc from people sitting there with their arms crossed. Why do I have to be in this workshop? I'm very important and very busy and have things to do to getting people to smile, to breathe, to connect with their breath, connect with their voice. I bring a lot of humor into my classes and just watching that arc from Mm. the 
even from their physicality, sitting there with their arms crossed to laughing and relaxed and being able to find the value in improving their soft skills. Totally. I can relate to that a lot. I I get a lot of arms crossed, usually older white men in my audiences who are like, why do I need to sit through this conversation on gender bias? <laughs> and Absolutely. it's a tough, it can be a tough crowd from uh from a speaker perspective. Absolutely. And especially everybody's on their phones all the time. Mm. And to get people to put their phones down, take 30 minutes, take an hour just to connect and work with their colleagues, improve their listening skills, improve their being present. It's a lot. It's a yeah. big undertaking. Definitely. So one of the things I've heard from ladies in our community is that part of what keeps us quiet is not being willing to speak up for fear that we might say the wrong thing. So can you give us some fundamentals of improv and how maybe improv applies in that case, whereby it's it's less high stakes and more playful and more exploratory and conversational so that people don't need to feel, um, hopefully in their workplace, don't need to feel like every time we open our mouths, it's perfect. You know, how do we let go of that performance anxiety and and apply some of what you know, what you've learned through improv to being a more confident speaker, even when you haven't fully fleshed out what you're going to say exactly. Absolutely. And it's speaking with confidence. The core tenet of improvisation is saying yes. And no matter what the offer is, you say yes, and then you figure it out. Mm. So one of the exercises I do with my clients is we tell a story. So we go around the table and we tell a story and like building a house with bricks. You say yes, and you add on to that offer. So if you and I were to do this exercise, we could tell a story about road trips through the States. Mm. Emily, I went on an amazing road trip through the States, and I stopped at every artisanal donut shop there was. (laughs) And then you would say yes, Yes, and and, yeah, you had a bellyache half of the way home. (laughs) Yes. And it was worth it. And I determined that my favorite, blah, blah, blah. So that's how you, that's how improv works. You add on to it. On the flip side, if I said that anecdote to you, I went on a road trip, tried every artisanal donut, and you said, no, no, you didn't. That's stupid. (laughs) There's nowhere to go. You can't Mm. build from that. So one of one of the take-homes from that is always say yes and then add on to it. Mm. And in your question, you asked about fear of speaking up. Mm-hmm. You really just need to come from a place of confidence and know that everybody fails. And what is the worst that can happen? You mm. feel a little embarrassed? It's the, You have to really judge the stakes on mm-hmm. it. Is it saying an inappropriate joke? You've got to read the room. You have to check check the timing of when things are, when it's appropriate. But right. just, right, as an improv, something in improv, an, an offer. When If you've ever been to an improv show, mm-hmm. you ask for an offer from the audience. So in improv, when somebody makes a mistake, in quotes, that's never considered a mistake. It's considered a gift, just to clarify, when you say a gift, is that like, here you go, 
improv partner, have fun with this one. It's like, there's no mistake. It's like a gift for someone else to make something funny out of it or how how does that work? Okay. When someone makes a mistake, I'm making air quotes here, in improv, it's often considered a gift because it leads you down an unexpected path Mm. and it often brings the funniest moments. And as another aside, in pottery, in Japanese pottery, Mm -hmm. when something is broken, they repair it with gold. Mm. So it... And that makes it so unique and so beautiful. So they don't throw it out. They just add on to it and elevate it. And that's what in improv, when you get a mistake, you just add on. You always say yes and. Yeah, I love that. I feel like um, I just had a discussion like this with some of my job seeker clients. I didn't think I would be talking about the job search on this interview at all, but I'm excited to see some parallels popping up for me. But we were practicing interview best practices uh, with one of my job search cohorts, and folks were saying it can sometimes feel like you're monologuing in the interview, and you're afraid of going on too long, and it feels very one-sided, and you're not sure if they're with you. You're not sure if you've held their attention or if they're picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> and Sure. You know, I could see how this conversational style, this kind of co-creating of a conversation by kind of throwing a verbal lifeline out to your interviewer or your panel of interviewers could help construct something collaborative. So it's less of this solo performance, you know, one person show, and more of a conversational tone that says, here's what I would do, but you know, I'm curious to hear, has this come up for you? And has this been an issue in the workplace? And how have you handled this in the past? And kind of always having a question to include the interviewer in your conversation can help keep things fluid and and feel less high pressure. So that yes, I love that yes and philosophy. And I think a lot of that comes down to status. And status Mm in the context I'm talking about is your occupational prestige or social hierarchy. So when you walk into the interview, you want to walk in with a a pretty confident high status, but yet you don't want to be demeaning to your interviewer. Obviously, they are are the gatekeepers. So you want to think of your relationship with them. Mm. Do you want it to be confident, confidant to confidant? Do you want it to be, is it more casual, Mm. buddy-buddy? What kind of relationship do you want with the interviewer? Mm. And also, can you, having been on the other side of the table and being asked to interview people and hire them, most people are going to come in with the same level skill set. And I think ultimately you want to be able, you want to hire someone that you could go out and have a drink with after work. <laughs> so you need to have a little bit of personality. You need to show that you are a confident, fun, positive person that if you have to go on a business trip with somebody, they are not going to be dreading sitting stuck next to you on the flight for four hours. Totally. Okay. So I'm so intrigued by this because I have worked with so many women who the minute there is a high stakes environment, 
Um, I'm thinking of one client of mine who is in our Level Up Leadership Accelerator. You know, she's the most polished and prepared person you've ever met. She does her homework. She shows up ready. And when she walks into the boardroom, when she gets nervous, her face falls flat. Her tone is almost monotone. And she doesn't seem like the fun-loving, wonderful, carefree person I have seen her be. So how do you combat that that lack of warmth that can be such a barrier to connection that is a direct result of nerves? Great question. And for that, I always tell my clients they need to do a warm-up. Before they go into their interview, when they're at home, take the time to do a physical warm-up. Take the time to do a vocal warm-up. Connect with your breath. Connect with your body. Watch your A.B. Cuddy power posing TED Talk. (laughs) Yes. Do your power pose to lower your stress hormone. And you really do need to fake it till you become it. Yeah, I love that. Some of the exercises I give to my clients are to do a roll down. So if you are standing tall, if you've ever taken a yoga class, think of Tadasana, that standing tall mountain pose, hands are down by your side and they're energized, nice long neck, and then slowly dropping your chin down to your chest, rounding your body, connecting your breath with your movement. Find some tongue twisters. It is so important (laughs) to warm up your body. Think of an athlete, how they prepare. Think of how a performer prepares an opera singer when they go on stage. Mm. That's how you need to prepare yourself for those stressful situations. Yes. I was um, doing an episode recently, maybe a year ago now. I'll link to it in today's show notes called Completing the Stress Cycle based on Emily Nagoski's book, Burnout. Um, the science of women and stress. And she talks about how when your body experiences a stress response, there's only one way to get rid of the stress, and it's to uh, exercise or eliminate it through movement, essentially. Uh, Even something as simple as like squeezing your fist can help release (laughs) some of that stress. And it signals to your brain, hey, I escaped that saber-toothed tiger that was chasing me because that's how we're neurologically wired, right? To feel Mm -hmm. stress as something that we need to physically run from. (laughs) So I have been known to not only do a couple power poses in the mirror in the bathroom before a big keynote, but I love me a bathroom sink push-up period. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I'm so glad to hear you say that. Yeah. I mean, just got to get the blood flowing a little bit because – When you're, I feel like as a keynote speaker or a presenter, someone just speaking up in the office, they're not just there to hear what you have to say. They're here to absorb your energy that you are putting Mm -hmm. out in the world. Mm -hmm. And so how can you give that energy if you haven't uh, sort of wound yourself up in a way, (laughs) you know? Um, I wonder, have you in your work with TEDx speakers ever seen this go tremendously well or maybe even tremendously poorly? Uh, and trying to to mitigate nerves for such a high-stake speaking environment? It comes down to preparation. You, you will be confident if you have put in the work and spent the time on your feet preparing your presentation. Yeah. If you don't, then you're going to get really nervous, but you have to put in the work step-by-step, day-by-day before. And that goes for TEDx. That goes for... A, anything. I worked with a tech incubator here in Toronto, helping 
them work on their pitches in front of investors. Mm. And let me tell you, Emily, you can have your PhD in artificial intelligence, but if you can't effectively communicate your pitch, you're not going to get funding. And that is so important. And you see such a disconnect from these highly intelligent people who have very poor communication skills. You need to be able to pitch to somebody's grandmother for them to be able to understand it and not use any jargon, Mm. not use any tech lingo. And one of, I remember one of the participants was so nervous. They had their arms by their sides. Think of how a kid makes a choo-choo train. They Uh were making with both of their arms while they were giving their pitch. That's where their energy went into making these choo-choo train arms. (laughs) And that comes to, you need to do your warm up. Do your practice, work on your elevator, 30-second elevator pitch so that you're ready to go in those key moments. Totally. I laugh, but I shouldn't really because it's not its not funny. It's totally relatable. And for anyone listening who thinks I haven't bombed, trust me, I have completely bombed in my in my professional career. I feel like it's part of the it's part of the process, part of the journey. But um, I want to pick up on something you said around preparation because I think some people think certain folks are just innately charismatic, innately able to speak on their feet. And I agree with you that practice makes permanent, right? Practicing how you want to play is the name of the game when it comes to preparing not just the substance of a talk, but the style with which you want to give that talk. And I always say, if you want to study for a written exam like uh, LSAT test, you have to study in a written form. But if you're preparing for a talk of any kind, you have to practice how you want to play, where you have to get up, pace the room. You've got to give the talk in the in the same way you want to give the talk. So what are some of your best tips for folks who want to learn how to prepare better and not just study the science or study the the substance, but really practice honing their style? Put on the shoes that you're going to wear at the presentation. It will change your posture. It will change how you carry yourself. When you're at home in your slippers and your comfy clothes on your couch, it's going to change how it's going to change the stakes of how you are performing. If you get up and you do you are practicing at home but you're wearing the clothes which are probably not going to be as comfortable whether that's your suit, <laughs> right. whether it's a dress, whether you're wearing flats or heels, everything will change for you physically and how you prepare. So that is one mm. key practice that if you are a performer those are called your rehearsal clothes. You have rehearsal shoes, your if you're wearing a costume, it just changes how you carry yourself. I have never heard that before and I love it so much cuz I'm usually mm-hmm. in a hotel room like bathrobe <laughs> or yes. some combination of like sports bra and yoga pants pacing around barefoot practicing. So I got to give that a try. Right. Well, absolutely. Yeah, definitely try it and Even now, thinking about how you would stand if you're wearing your favorite clothes and you feel so confident, you know that you look great. It just sitting down right now in a chair, it changes, changes. You sit up taller. That's so great. Anything else that you would uh, recommend for preparation tips? 
get up on your feet. You mm. are not doing your presentation sitting down. You are not doing it lying down on the couch. You can use those as tools, whether you are memorizing the text or whether you're someone that has that likes to work off of point form notes, but you have to get up and do it minimum, like minimum of five times. Think mm. of how a Broadway performer, they have weeks and weeks of rehearsal to memorize. They have they have to walk in the door with the script memorized. Right. Then the work then the work begins on finding all the nuances, breaking it down into beats, which are thoughts. So you want to work that way. Work from the perspective of an athlete. Work from the perspective of a performer right. and put in the hours after you write the speech into perfecting the presentation of it. Some of the tools you can use are saying it in at different speeds, trying mm. to say it really fast, trying to say it slowly, different pitches, just to get it coming out of your voice a different way. Mm -hmm. So all of those are our little tools I that love I like that. to give as homework. I always think of stand-up comedy, comedy when it comes to just how many times you have to take a special on the road and, you know, bomb in front of multiple audiences and try things differently before you're ready to film that Netflix special if you are that lucky, right? And the the years, it sometimes takes years, if not more, to really get the performance art down. It's not just what you say, it's how you say it. And I think that sentence nailed it. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. Mm. Absolutely. That could be the thesis statement for it. One of the exercises I give to my clients is to read a, a children's book mm. and to have those big highs and big lows modulating their voice. Because it doesn't matter when you're reading to a kid right. who can't understand. It does not matter the content. They don't yeah. understand. It's how you say it. You could be reading... You could be reading the real estate section to them. Right. They don't care. But if you if you modulate your voice, ooh, look at this six point two million dollar starter home, <laughs> fifteen bedrooms, then they will be engaged. Oh my gosh, that is such a great point. And, and like my brother has a now five month old baby, and I the way you talk to a five month old baby is so exaggerated because that's what gets their attention. And it, somewhere within every person in your office is that little brain from when they were five months old who responds to differing keys and differing registers and differing tones and speeds and volumes. So that is so funny. Oh my goodness. I use that exercise all the time with my clients. I work with a lot of lawyers. Some of them practice in insurance law. It is not the most scintillating of <laughs> material that they have to share. Right. So how how do you get your clients, how do you get them engaged when you have to work with dry material. And that's one of the exercises we do. We read the terms and conditions of go to the bank, pull, yeah. pick a pamphlet, pick anything, get your Apple iTunes terms and conditions next time and read it to somebody in your house and try to make it interesting by modulating your voice. I love it. Wow, that's so great. So tell us, for my listeners, I could first of all, I could talk to you all day, but I do want to be respectful of your time. So 
Tell our listeners more about the kind of work you do. Who do you work with? How do you work with them? And how can they learn more about you if they want to follow up? Well, you can find me at findyourvoice.ca. I'm here in Toronto, Canada, Mm -hmm. but I can... I'm happy to work with anyone all over the world. And my work, I focus mainly on presentation skills coaching. So whether that's going into your office and getting teaching everyone in your office communication skills, or maybe you have a specific presentation coming up, you're speaking to the law society, you are pitching in front of investors, anything that you want to work on with the performance of your speech. I have tons of tools and I'm happy to help. And also people that are struggling with anxiety and nervousness when Mm -hmm. they're presenting. All of the tools that you learn and are innate to a performer, how to warm up your body, how to warm up your voice, they can all be translated into how to be an effective communicator in the business world. Awesome, Stephanie. Thank you so much. We'll put a link to findyourvoice.ca in today's show notes. Thanks so much for being here to make your voice heard. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Emily. Learn more about Stephanie's awesome work at findyourvoice.ca. And now it's time for this week's Boss Move of the Week, which comes in from Alexa in the Bossed Up Courage community. She writes... After months of searching, I was finally offered a graduate internship that I planned to accept. Navigating the job search as a young professional and first-generation student, especially during a pandemic, has been tough. But I know this is a much better fit for me and my career goals. I'll be an academic support coach for students, and hopefully this will help me on my path to working in sexual violence prevention in higher education when I graduate with my MA next spring. Congratulations, Alexa. So proud of you, boss. I know this is such a crazy time. All the job seekers that I work with are struggling right now. I, you know, obviously I would much rather point out all the success stories and talk about all the ways in which they're growing and thriving, which is also true. But the reality is it's tough out there right now. If you find yourself navigating a career transition or unemployed or feeling down about the job search, please know that you're not alone. And know that stories like Alexa's remind us that even though things aren't ideal right now, we can still make progress on our goals if we keep the faith stay resilient, and ask for the help we need. Alexa, congrats on your progress. Thanks for sharing your boss move. And I now want to turn the mic to you, boss. If you're listening to this podcast, I want to hear from you. What is the career conundrum you want me to break down on our next episode? Call it in on the Bossed Up Podcast hotline at 910-668-BOSS or 2677, or you can always record a voice memo and email it in at info at bossstep.org. I want to hear from you. What career conundrums are you wrestling with right now that I can help with? And what boss moves of the week are you making that our community should hear about? You really never know who you're inspiring unless you share your come-up story. So leave me a voicemail now at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. And if you found today's episode helpful, want to get links to relevant resources, uh, head to the Bossed Up blog at bossedup.org slash episode 246 to learn more and follow up with Stephanie. Until next time, keep bossing, y'all. And I will be in your earbuds later this week. 